News of the Times. History News Short. Our headline story. The story of Mary Ann Cotton. For our listeners, Mary Ann Cotton is renowned in Britain as a mass murderer. It is believed, but not completely proven, that she killed four husbands and eight children, including her own children or stepchildren. There have been estimates of her having killed up to 21 people, including children. The motive is thought to have been for the collection of monies from insurance policies, or because the children got in the way. Mary Ann Cotton never did give a full confession. The related news stories are from the York Herald, March 1873, the wholesale poisoning cases at West Auckland, the prisoner committed on four charges of willful murder. The woman, Mary Ann Cotton, who is accused of the extensive poisoning cases at West Auckland, was again brought up before the Bishop Auckland bench of magistrates. On Tuesday the 2nd, additional charges of murder for the poisoning of her stepson Frederick Cotton, aged 10, on the 10th of March last, and also her own child, Robert Robson Cotton, aged 14 months, on the 29th of the same month. Prisoner was brought from Durham Jail in charge of the head warder and Mrs Robinson, the matron who sat beside her at the dock during examinations and alternately nursed the child which was born during her incarceration in Durham Jail, and which, we are informed, has been christened Margaret Edith Quickman Cotton. Evidence as follows. Sarah Smith, wife of William Smith of West Auckland, said, I know the prisoner... Mary Ann Cotton very well. I lived six doors from her at West Auckland. I knew her from her first coming to West Auckland that would be about three or four months before her husband's death. When she came to West Auckland, besides her husband, there was a stepson named Frederick Cotton, another stepson called Edward Cotton, and her own son called Robert Robson Cotton. I remember Frederick being taken very ill. I also remember him dying. When I went to see him, I found that he had a very sickly and faint appearance. I saw the boy again on the following day. He appeared much worse. I noticed he was bleeding for a leech wound on the right side of his bowels. He was also sick and vomiting. He complained of thirst. Mrs. Cotton gave him a drink, and he very often vomited after the drink. Mr. Scattergood, surgeon and lecturer on forensic medicine and toxicology at the School of Medicine in Leeds, was next called. He said on examining the stomach and the bowels, he had found traces of arsenic. He was of the opinion that Frederick Cotton had died from poisoning by arsenic. Other witnesses were examined and evidence given showing that the deceased child's life insurance was insured 
under the Prudential Insurance Society. The prisoner was then charged with having murdered Robert Robson Cotton on the 29th of March. On the morning of his death, the child appeared quite well, but before evening he was seized with convulsions and died very suddenly. It was shown that the mother, Mary Ann Cotton, refused to call in the neighbours when the alarming symptoms came on, and excused herself by saying she knew the child was dying and wished him to die quietly. The medical gentleman proved that death resulted from arsicinal poisoning. A Newcastle chemist gave evidence to the effect that the prisoner purchased an ounce of arsenic at his shop in January 1869. From Lloyd's Weekly Newspaper, March 1873, Mary Ann Cotton. The series of cold-blooded murders for which Mary Ann Cotton was hanged in Durham jail last Monday morning are crimes against which no punishment known in history could make way. The woman appears to have been utterly devoid of a sense of the heinousness of her crimes. She rocked the child on her knees today that she was to poison tomorrow. She kept the body of one victim unburied till she had finished off another in order to make one funeral ceremony do for the two. Most of her murders were committed for petty gains as a small policy or a burial fee, but the last was merely to get a boy out of the way, because he prevented her from going out to work. She killed off husbands and children with unconcern of a farm girl killing poultry. The woman showed no violent passions, her conduct provoked no suspicions, until she had cleared her house of every living soul. That such a human creature can grow in the midst of our civilization is a deplorable fact to ponder. From the Stroud and Gloucester Advertiser, March 1873, Mary Ann Cotton. The conduct of the unhappy woman since her protracted trial and condemnation has undergone a marked change. The verdict of the jury, though it could scarcely have been expected otherwise with such overwhelming evidence of her guilt, had a terrible effect upon her, and in some days she was in a prostrate condition, but she re revived considerably and continued to maintain a solid and reserved demeanour, and her protestations of innocence were frequent. She had strong faith in the efficacy of a petition, and writes letters to her husband, Robinson, who still survives, and several of her former friends, urging them to set up a petition for her life to be spared. One or two attempts made by parties averse to capital punishment met with little or no success. A few days ago, the child to which she gave birth after her incarceration in Durham jail, was entrusted to the care of a neighbour, the wife of a pitman at West Auckland, and her parting with it and her friends was 
of a most affectionate description. From the Whitney Express and Oxfordshire and Midland County Herald, April 1873, the execution of Mary Ann Cotton, the convict's last moments. On Monday morning at eight o'clock, Mary Ann Cotton was executed in Durham Jail. The reporters were admitted at half-past seven. After waiting within the gate about a quarter of an hour, the reporters were requested to proceed to the governor's office, which overlooks the eastern quadrangle of the jail, where the scaffold had been erected on the same spot as it was during the execution of Slain and Hayes for the Spenny Moor murder. At ten minutes to eight o'clock, the bell tolled, and in five minutes more, the prisoner, who had been pinioned in private by order of the governor, was led into the yard, supported by two prison officials, and followed by the under-sheriff, Mr. Richard Bowser, and the Reverend W. Stevenson and Mountford, Wesleyan ministers, and the Reverend J. C. Lowe, the prison chaplain. Mrs. Cotton was ghastly pale, but walked with a firm step, praying audibly and earnestly. With her eyes uplifted, Mrs. Cotton, who regarded the spectators with an air of defiance, and muttered constantly, took her place upon the drop with remarkable composure. Calcraft put on the white cap, and his assistant adjusted the rope. By a preconcerted arrangement, the bolt was drawn by the assistant, and the wretched woman was dead in a minute or two. After a few convulsions, the body was motionless. The time occupied on the drop was remarkably short. Mr. Mountford states that in the condemned cell at six o'clock, he had urged upon the unfortunate woman the great importance of a true confession before there could be a true faith in Christ. Having seen her on Saturday and found some discrepancies in her statement, he brought them before her notice and she stated that she believed she had been the agent, that is the poisoner, but not intentionally. He pointed out to her that there was a lapse of time between the deaths and asked how she accounted for that circumstance. The acts did not occur on one day, but happened within months between them. He strongly urged this point upon her, but she maintained a sullen reserve. Mr. Young, a deputy governor, stated that she had spent a comfortable night, having slept from three to four hours very soundly. She appeared to be very penitent and prayed earnestly with the female warders, mentioning her husband and child, and weeping at the mention of the latter. She stated that she had written three times to her husband, Robinson, but that he had refused to visit her. The convict had retired to rest at half-past eight, and all the refreshments she partook of this morning was a cup of tea at half-past five o'clock. Shortly after six o'clock, three Wesleyan ministers, Messrs. Mountford, Stevenson and Bennett, arrived and remained with the convict to the end. At nine o'clock, the body was cut down 
and the inquest held. You have been listening to News of the Times, and I am Robin Coles.